think it's okay to say Happy New Year? Yeah? Okay, good. We better start with prayer. Father, we're so grateful for the love of Christ. Thank you for the sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, that he paid the penalty. And by faith, Lord, that we can trust for the washing of sin, forgiveness, acceptance, full atonement, Lord. And we thank you that Jesus Christ, our King, is seated on his throne ruling. We gladly bow to him this morning, Lord. And we pray that this time together would bless you and please you. We pray that your spirit would be our teacher, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. So one of our favorite passages that we've been reading over the last several days, and certainly all the time this time of year, is this beautiful and touching in terms of the holidays, the prophecy in Isaiah 9 of the coming king, the child to be born, the son, the victorious overcomer who will sit on the throne of David ruling over his kingdom. Sitting in the middle of their own darkness, Israel had trusted in the help of the world powers to be their pathway to safety. And God ended up using that same world power, ironically, to judge them. And so in the bleakness of their current national situation with war all over them, Isaiah gave the hope of a coming mighty one to the people Israel he says in Isaiah 9:5 he said every booted excuse me every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire There's a victorious one coming and he explains how this is going to happen he says for a child will be born to us a son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Isaiah says peace will happen. How? A child will be born. A son will be given. The government or dominion will be upon his shoulders. The son's government will expand. Peace will even increase as a result of his rule. The son will sit on the throne of David. The son will rule over David's kingdom. From from the time he takes his throne, from then on and forevermore, his kingdom will be established and upheld with justice and righteousness. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this, Isaiah says. Isaiah is giving the truth that serves as the foundation of faith for God's people. He's speaking to the remnant of faithful Israel who look forward to that day by faith, living out their lives with assurance and conviction that these things will be accomplished. On the other side of the cross, by the time we get to the days of Hebrews 10, the Lord Jesus Christ had been offered as the once for all sacrifice, the sacrifice that lasts for all time. From 2,000 years ago, Hebrews 10 says he sat down at the right hand of God. He occupies the throne of God. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. A child was born. A son was given. 
The government or heaven's dominion now rests on his shoulders. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. In fact, he rules the world with truth and grace. And as Isaiah says, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. His kingdom will have no end. This morning, like the Hebrews in the first century, and even Israel in the days of of Isaiah and Assyria, you and I are faced with the same uh, similar dilemma. Do we respond to today's circumstances as if there is no Savior reigning? Are we people who say we believe the wonderful Christmas story, but instead our actions prove that it's merely a cozy kind of cup of eggnog chestnut roasting fairy tale? Do you believe that Jesus Christ has all authority in heaven and on earth? Do you believe that through his cross, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and Christ, and he will reign forever and ever? Or maybe you're tempted, like the Hebrews, into throwing away your confidence and shrinking back to destruction, not persevering in faith, and bowing to the fearful voices of the world. Let's let Hebrews 11 today encourage our hearts to stand fast, to be immovable in our assurance and conviction regarding the current and forevermore dominion of Jesus Christ, the King. Look at Hebrews 10, 39. At Hayden Bible Church, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. You and I are running a race Today, we're running a race where the finish line is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's the eternal, joyful presence of the Son and peace everlasting. Yet discouragement in the face of hard things can really encumber us. It can slow us down. Fear in the face of worry about our temporal lives can get us all tangled up and and separate us from the true and victorious purpose that God has assigned us as ambassadors to this great king. Listening to the voices of the lost world, we can veer off the racetrack and, and find ourselves derailed and immobilized, neglecting the purposes of our God. We need to learn to stand in faith. We need a great cloud of witnesses leading us along the track. Witnesses who've already finished the race and and, and, and received the prize for exercising the self-control of faith and persevering even when discouragement and fear and voices tempted them away from their confidence. I know you know that in recent months, many associated with the church have adopted the spirit of Antichrist and taken Satan's accusational position against the church in complaining how the people of God are unloving by the world's standards because we gather together to worship the reigning king and build each other up in the faith, in love. Some have even has gone as far as actually blaming Christians for the COVID pandemic and, and seek the solace of the lost while they complain about us. 
The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 3 says, If you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. God defines what love looks like. Not the world. Not the lost. This morning we're strengthening endurance of faith to the preserving of the soul. Look at Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Faith is the flip side of apostasy. And and the author of Hebrews is exhorting the church to keep trusting God clear to the end. And to endure all the way to glory. The endurance of faith you and I so desperately need. As we actually for the first time in the history of America. Begin to experience pushback. The same pushback that the rest of the world has been living with for centuries. That endurance of faith saturates Hebrews 11. Here in verse 1. Faith is marked by assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction make faith tangible in a sense. They're the two walking feet of faith. Assurance in the New American Standard or the Legacy or the ESV is the same as confidence in the New Living or the NIV and the same as substance in the King James or New King James. In Hebrews 3 verse 14, we, it says, For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance of hope until the end. Excuse me, that was from 6.11, and we des- which says, And that we desire of each one of you show the same diligence as the, to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And then 10.22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. When it comes to faith, biblical assurance is certainty of mind. <clears throat> and it's always, it's always based on, on confidence toward God. For the overcomer, assurance takes a victorious step forward. Assurance knows that God's decreed future will come to pass. Then we have conviction. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith takes a second step, knowing that the truth of God, even though you can't see it or you can't touch it, nevertheless is true and reliable even with my life, even with my death. Faith is conviction of things not seen. Conviction is a resolve based on truth. It's the strength of my response to anything tempting me away from the truth of God. Back in the days of Israel in Assyria, when the remnant was left after God's lopping off of boughs and cutting down those tall in stature and abasing lofty ones, and after he'd cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, so to speak, And the mighty forest of proud and rebellious hearts was finally made into a clear cut. When there was nothing left but a stump of faithful ones, a remnant, hope was promised. 
Isaiah 11.1 1 says, Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. A greater David was prophesied. And the faithful remnant of that day looked forward with assurance and conviction to him whom you and I look back to in a sense now. And their lives were marked by their faithfulness and their assurance and their conviction. And like the faithful remnant, like their successors in the days of Hebrews at Hayden Bible Church, we're not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith to the preserving of our soul. Back to Hebrews 11 verse 2. By faith the men of old, the text says, gained approval. They received their commendation. They they pleased God. They glorified his great name. They obtained a good testimony. Because without faith it's impossible to please God. Let's stand on a truth today, surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses flooding this chapter. Let's believe that my faith moves my feet in assurance and conviction. My faith moves my feet in assurance and conviction. Faith is the victory. In fact, faith itself is a gift from God by the grace of God. Faith is the victory against all things that rise up against the knowledge of God. I know you remember from 1 John 5, where the Apostle John, the same apostle, by the way, who stood before his friend Jesus, who was dying on a cross, witnessing his death. Yet he proclaims in the first chapter of Revelation that this same Savior, Jesus, is currently the ruler of the kings of the earth. This is the same John who declares, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. John compels you and I to be steadfast, immovable, stubborn as mules in our faith, not being moved away from it, not shrinking back. Again from Hebrews 11, it's faith that looks back at creation even, as as even though none of us were actually there, yet faith, based on the word of God, understands that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, and so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And when you and I are flooded with the world's rebellious musings about the origins of creation, we stand by faith with assurance and conviction that God is the creator of all things. In fact, out of nothing, he spoke creation into existence. Even though we weren't there, the grace of faith gives us, each of us who are believers, confidence that God is creator, and we stand on that truth. He's supreme. He's sovereign. He's above all things. He's holy. He's the beginning. Nothing was before him, and he is the end. Colossians 1 says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Do you believe what I just read? Do you have assurance that these things are true? Is your life marked by conviction that these things are real? Because my faith moves my feet in assurance 
and conviction. You can see it. We can see in chapter 11, many feet moving in assurance and conviction. Even when what God said seemed impossible or statistically improbable, their lives were marked by their trust in God's truth. From, for example, from creation to Noah, Hebrews shares that Abel, Abel pleased God by offering the right sacrifice in faith. Yet Cain's sacrifice was mechanical. It was rebellious and even unbelieving. We also see that Enoch, another one full of assurance and conviction, was spared even death. He was removed from the earth so that he didn't die. And his good testimony even speaks to us, uh, us who can trust in Christ for a, visor, for a, for a uh, victorious resurrection to life. A resurrection at that future time when our Savior's last enemy, death, is finally defeated. Because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy that, enemy that will be abolished is death. God rewards those who seek him. There's a future and a hope for those of us who trust in him. Look at Noah in verse 7. God warned him of the flood. And out of reverence for God, Noah built an ark so his family could be saved. Faith takes action in the unseen promises of God with assurance and conviction. Men, are you leading your family to safety? Does your family know where to find refuge from the eternal flood of God's wrath? Noah's two feet of assurance and conviction served to condemn the world in the sense that that he was moving in the opposite direction of the rest of mankind. The same world of humanity that refused to trust and obey God, but instead was on the pathway to utter eternal destruction, just like many of our neighbors and our co-workers, and and our family, and friends, and even people from our own households. In verses 8 and 9, we see Abraham, the father of the faithful, looking over the top of what he could see and feel and experience, onward to something beyond those things. Something based on the promise of God. Something of God. A city to come whose builder and architect is God. A city with a temple built of living stones. And of course, some of Abraham's family thought he must have been a nutcase. There there wasn't a brochure with photos about where he was headed. There wasn't a YouTube video that got him excited about the accommodations when he showed up. He simply put one foot of assurance in front of the other based on conviction and went out not knowing whither he went, the King James so beautifully says. Sarah, his wife, conceived even well beyond the normal phase of a woman's life for being able to get pregnant, even while married to an old man, as good as dead, the scripture says. And yet, based on the word of God, in the covenant from God, from one man were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore, the text says. Abraham couldn't see all these people. He couldn't physically see the descendants promised by God, but his faith could see it. From way off, his faith knew that these things were true, so Abraham lived by faith, 
And he also died by faith. Like Abel through Noah and Abraham and all his heirs in verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles or pilgrims on the earth, for those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And we've talked about that city. How is your life this morning marked by your faith? Are you courageous in the promises of God? You know, in a sense, you and I even have a greater blessing than Abraham because even while we're alive today by the cleansing blood of the new covenant promised to Abraham and Christ's blood, the new and living way, we've arrived at Mount Zion. We've come to the city of the living God. By new birth, we've received the promise. And we have a future of even greater manifestations of this astonishing reward to look forward to. Just like Pastor Steve says, our best years are ahead of us. Our best life is ahead. And so our faith must move our feet today with assurance and conviction. In verse 17, Hebrews 11, we can see this supernatural faith given by the grace of God. God had promised Abraham that it was through his son Isaac that his descendants, namely the seed Christ, would come. And when God commanded Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham didn't run to the philosophies of the world to get a reality check. He didn't disobey God because he couldn't make sense out of it. He did make sense out of it. He acted rationally because he knew, based on his faith, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. Rational faith obeys God. Rational faith obeys God with assurance and conviction. Is your faith rational this morning? It can only be rational if it's based on the word of God and it and moves its feet based on the hope and promise of God. Back to our chapter, Isaac, the son of promise, had that faith. Jacob had that faith. Joseph's life was marked by assurance and conviction, looking forward to the promise of the Holy One. Moses even, verse 23, was a beneficiary of the overcoming faith of his parents. It turns out that the government had said to kill all the Hebrew boys by drowning them in the Nile, clearly against the will of God. So his parents hid him for months. They, they weren't afraid of the government or the laws passed that went against the will of God. They took one step of assurance followed by another step of conviction and all based on their faith and obedience to their great God. They knew that the law passed was wrong and that obeying it would be sin. Plus, he was a beautiful little kid and they loved him. 
His parents could have acted merely out of fear for their reputation or fear of their life or their association with the people of God and just simply thrown their kid into the river. But instead, they became an example of people who do what is right even when seemingly powerful earthly authorities mandate what's wrong. Later on, we know the story of how God orchestrated Moses growing up in an Egyptian family, ironically in the king's own household. But but when push came to shove, even Moses, the giver of the law of God, even he walked with assurance and conviction by the grace of faith. He saw his people being treated harshly by the government and identified with them. He chose to walk alongside them. By faith, he made a decision to to endure ill treatment along with the people of God, rather to sit comfortably in the palace eating chocolates and getting shoulder massages all day. His life was marked by assurance and conviction of things not seen. The Bible says he considered the reproach or the, or, or the criticism of being associated with Christ of greater riches than the treasures he could have received in Egypt. He looked ahead. And then later, by faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. That's our call. By faith, when he returned under the direction of God to deliver his people, Moses obeyed God's promises and kept Passover so that he who destroyed the firstborn wouldn't touch them. By faith, he led Israel out of slavery through the parted Red Sea, even when he was being chased by the sinful and disobedient authorities. And he watched his pursuers drowned in the flood of God's judgment as Israel safely passed through the water, ironically on dry ground. Don't you think the image he saw would have been intimidating? Don't you think he's like us? Don't you think it would have been scary to turn around and look what was coming after you? He could have died. This could have been the end of his life. Yet he endured, Moses endured, as seeing him who is unseen, and carefully obeyed his revealed will through his word. Moses, like everyone else in this chapter, did not shrink back to destruction, but exercised faith to the preserving of the soul. And he led multitudes of others in the same faithful direction. Multitudes. The chapter goes on. The walls of Jericho fell by the power of God, by faith. Rahab the harlot had protected the people of God when Israel spied out the land. She knew something better was coming. And when Jericho fell, her life was spared. She literally lived by faith. She never even went to Bible school. She put one foot of assurance in front of the other foot of conviction and lived even though the earthly authorities might have arrested her, she obeyed God. Multitudes of others, they conquered kingdoms, they performed acts of righteousness, they obtained promises. One guy even killed a giant with a rock 
Some survived burning, fiery flames. Others overcame lions. Others, by faith, became mighty in war. And by faith in God, they ran foreign armies out of town. By faith, women received their dead back to resurrection. And by faith, others were tortured, not accepting their release because they looked ahead to the promise of a better resurrection, a lasting one, a resurrection by faith to eternal life in the presence of Jesus Christ. All these people, people like us, they were convinced. They had conviction that those who suffer for God's purposes will be raised to a glorious resurrection. That's our promise. Resurrection. Is the better resurrection your hope today? If it's not your hope, I pray that it will become your hope. I pray that it will consistently be my hope. By the way, just out of curiosity, if, if, if you had no risk of being marked out as an idiot, and you and I were in a closed-door room together, in private, there was no chance of your being humiliated, what would be those things that you would tell me that you really hope for? What would bring you ultimate lasting peace and final rest and finally eliminate any fear from your life so that you walk like the people in Hebrews 11? Would it be that you don't die? That you won't get COVID? That the rapture will happen before you have to face death? These things that you're hoping for, the same things that a lot of us hope for. Do you have unwavering assurance that in these things? Namely, that you won't die or get COVID or the rapture will happen. Do you have unwavering assurance in those things? Do you have conviction so as to move your feet based on your enduring confidence in these things? On a scale of 1 to 10, what kind of assurance do you have that these things will come to pass? I know the answer. It's absolutely zero. You have no assurance. You can't rest. Yet faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. My faith moves my feet in assurance and conviction. And as we've seen, this kind of faith doesn't have its foundations on those things that we wish for. It has foundations on the the things that God has told us to hope for. Namely, a resurrection, a regenerate body, a regenerate heaven and earth, life in the presence of God without death, a successfully filled great commission, the Lord's glory covering the earth as the water covers the sea. Those are the things that we bank on. Back to chapter 11, verse 36. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, 
They were tempted. They were put to death with a sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. They all gained approval by their faith, a good testimony before God. They didn't receive what was promised before they died. God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. That something better arrived with the birth of Jesus Christ. And his death and burial and his resurrection and his glorious, powerful ascension to the throne. His victory. Hebrews says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also, us, also, Lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him, as Pastor Earl shared, he endured the cross, despising the shame who, and, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart this morning. That takes us back to Christmas. By the way, I hope you did have some eggnog. The passage in Isaiah we love so much this time of year tells God's people of the coming king from Isaiah's place and time. And when he had come, the king himself preached that the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God was at hand. God is ultimately the victorious one. Every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloaked rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. Why? Because our God reigns. He himself overcomes his people's enemies. Because a child was born to us. A son was given to us, just as Isaiah cried out. In a manger in Bethlehem, the eternal king of glory. The word of God, he became flesh and dwelt among us. And as a humanity, we beheld his glory. And we saw his cross. And we witnessed his death and burial and resurrection and saw his ascension. And we've been told by the word of God that he sits on his throne And heaven's dominion on earth rests on his shoulders alone. What do we have to fear? We can have total confidence. His name is called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness forever. Our victorious king is seated in the place of all authority over heaven and earth. Come behold him. Come and adore him. Fix your eyes on him. Dare to run the race by faith in him. Faith trusts in our majestic enthroned king with assurance and conviction. Faith believes that Jesus Christ is the greater David and that he has authority even over my death. 
And as a truster in Jesus Christ, I count on, by faith, the better resurrection. My faith moves my feet in assurance and conviction and how sweet it is to walk that pilgrim way. Today we've reminded ourselves of the massive cloud of people who've demonstrated their faith by the way they lived their lives, even in the face of fearful resistance. Their testimony to us is our exhortation to live by that same faith. Because faith, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for Jesus Christ, King, victorious, seated on his throne, reigning. Lord, we gladly bow to him. We serve him as saints and washed by the blood in the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, carrying out our lives as ambassadors of Jesus Christ here on earth. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room has put their trust in the blood of the Lamb and can expect to be raised to a better resurrection. And as we wait for that day, Lord, I pray that you would use everyone to your glory, and I pray that we would walk out the courageous, assured, convicted faith that comes through trusting in Jesus Christ, our Lord.